I was six months pregnant. I was with Chella and a truck driver yelled out the window to me, why don't you smile, love? And I turned around and I yelled back at him, why don't you break your own arm up and fist yourself up the ass, you fucking asshole? And Chella looked at me and the truck driver looked at me. <laughs> And I was like, whoa. It was like that came from another place. And I felt like if I could have climbed that with that truck and punched that guy in the face, I would have. I felt so mad that he thought it was okay to tell me to smile, like I was only there for decoration, that it's okay to tell another human to smile, even if they don't want to, that that's all women are here for. Like I was having all these feelings. That's all women are here for, just for the visual pleasure of men. How dare he? And then I was like, I was like hyperventilating until I was like, what is wrong? And I said, I don't know. I just know that I'm feeling increasingly pissed off. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. Today's In Conversation episode is with one firecracker of a human, M. Rusciano. We adore M for her wit and intelligence, of course, but most of all, we really appreciate her honesty and her vulnerability. She is one of a kind and we really do hope you enjoy this chat about M's career, her family and life in the public eye. Oh, and a note before we dive in, M does talk with her hands, which means you might hear some noises here and there. Just pretend you are right there in the studio with us because there will be little knocks and bumps along the way. That's just the magic of M Rociano though. So please enjoy this chat. Here's M. M. Rusciano, welcome to Shameless for the second time. Say, should we say welcome <laughs> back? No, I'm all about transparency. Um, <laughs> this is the second time because the first time was not great. You were great. I was subpar and I rang you guys and I said, you know what? I'd like to have another swing. And you generously have allowed me to come back in and um, give some better value to your wonderful listeners. They'll be very happy regardless to hear whatever you have to oh, say. Oh, that's kind. No, but I just wanted to get it right. So many of my followers and community um, listen to you guys and I thought, well, you know, you don't, need, you don't need to get me a day after there's been a media shitstorm and I'm in a bad mood. Yeah. If you're going to do it, do it properly. <laughs> that's what my mum always says. Um, we do start every episode in the same way, which is what are you reading, yes. watching, listening to? You know this already. I do. I'm reading a bunch of Mills and Boone at the moment um, that my publisher sent me because I'm writing an erotic comedy novel. Yes, you heard that correctly. Mm. So I'm reading a lot of sex scenes. Mills and Boone are hardcore now. They're not afraid to throw the word <laughs> cock in there. There's no more fleshy mounds or like um, love rods. They just let out say cock now. It's like, why not just be blunt? It's really changed since the 80s. Um, I'm reading, I'm still rereading Rage Becomes Her um, because I wrote a lot of my show about it and, and the things that book are working me. And if you're a woman out there feeling pissed off and not quite sure why, I highly recommend you read Rage Becomes Her. And I've just started reading Boy Swallows Universe. Yes, I've oh, got it. By Trent Dalton. Yes. I think I've said this for the last six months that it's been sitting on my bedside table and <laughs> I haven't picked written. it up. It's really, um, it's really unique. It's, I, I'm always jealous of writers who can just take you so quickly to a place. So I'm doing that. Um, but it's fitting in reading is so hard now. I just fall asleep. Yeah. It's really shit. I used to, I used to consume a book, I reckon a book every fortnight. But, um, yeah, that's – and I'm listening to – oh, God, I listen to the most amazing podcast with Brene Brown and Russell Brand. Um, oh, that's an interesting combo. It was 
It was mind-blowing. I had to pause it because I was getting really overwhelmed with the content. Really? It was amazing. Russell Brand is, is a philosopher and he's um, really become – he's done a lot of work on himself. He's no longer a massive wanker. Hmm. He's um, like a woke wanker. Totally woke wanker. Yeah. Not even a wanker anymore, I don't think. Really? No, you'll listen. So he does a subscription podcast with Luminary, but this one they've given out for free and it's gone off. Under the Skin, Russell Brand with Brene Brown. And to hear the two of them bouncing off each other, I had so many epiphanies. And they go from microscopic, you know, like existential crises to parenting a two-year-old. And it has something for everyone. And they deconstruct religion, politics, relationships in a totally unique way and left a feel way. And Russell's able to ask questions that she's never been asked before and she's been asked everything. Um, If you don't know, she's like Oprah's guru. She studies shame. She studies relationships. She's got a PhD in everything. She's got a new Netflix special. You should watch that. It's Um, amazing. Call to Courage. Call to Courage. She wrote a book called Rising Strong, which really got me through last year. Um, I listen to her every day at the moment to um, get me in the right headspace. She's become like this, I've got to get some Brene. She's got so much power. (laughs) And I was really resistant of her because I felt like it was a little bit white woman, rich, naff. But I got over myself and I listened to her and I am her target demographic. <laughs> like, I got to start fighting that shit. She's a Texan. She swears. She's also super religious, which I really admire. I mean, I don't subscribe, but I admire. Um, but I'm telling you, if you need a podcast that you're going to walk away from feeling like you can face life, that's the one to listen to, that one episode. I'm after you listen to, to this one, of course. <laughs> oh, yeah, after this Please one. Please listen to this one. Um, everything you'll be hearing is something I'll just be regurgitating from Russell Brand. Um, but, yeah, that's what I've been listening to, and it's it's been actually really life-changing for me over the last week. It's really flipped. I've been feeling really negative, and it's really flipped my kind of view on things. Um, you are vivacious and larger than life. Were you always that way? What were you like as a kid? I was. I was a little shit who bounced off walls. Um, <laughs> my parents funneled me into every sport. I answered back. Um, I had very strong opinions very early on. I was a staunch feminist very early on. Uh, I got kicked out of Catholic school uh, because I... Did you? Well, I went to a Catholic school in Melbourne for prep and grade one and I had a real issue with the nuns and um, they would they would read passages from the Bible and then I would ask why, why is that why is that woman being treated that way? You know, why is she being shunned? I had a real problem at about six, the way women were depicted in the Bible. So um, they asked my parents if perhaps they could find a more suitable school for me. <laughs> Quote, unquote, asked to leave. <laughs> yeah. Um, so even the nuns couldn't handle me, put it that way. Uh, no, I was I was also really super shy, and um, but also that kid at your school assembly who would put on an interpretive dance once a week. Um, I once walked on my hands around the gym just to prove I could. Uh, yeah, I was. Where did those opinions come from? Were you, are your parents my mom, quite opinionated? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. My mum, Goff Whitlam. I was wrapped in a Goff Whitlam T-shirt when I was born. Not like the the nurses brought over, you know, the hospital blankets, and mum said no. And gave them a Gough Whitlam t-shirt. And You're kidding. I was wrapped in a Gough Whitlam t-shirt. My mum still stands when anyone says his name. Oh. Um, she's a feminist. My grandmother was a feminist. Um, yeah, I think. And, and I also have always kind of been in love and watched the Disney villains. So I always wanted Ursula or Scar um, dolls. I didn't want. I didn't have time for Disney princesses. They just had no aim or ambition. They just wanted a man, and I thought that was bullshit. So the Disney villain shaped a lot. Miss Hannigan was my favourite character in Annie. I've modelled myself on Miss Hannigan pretty much. <laughs> Even as a kid, I was kind of drawn to the damaged and the dark and the camp. So I don't know. I think I think part of me was born that way. 
and um, and also the influences of my mum and, and my Italian side as well. I think, you know, the dramatic handsy person. So I think as a kid, I was very, very good at sports. So that's where I went. And I didn't really get into performing and entertaining until I was in my mid-20s because my dad was a singer and I was the athlete. So we all had our roles to play in the family. And, you know, mum was the scholar. So that was kind of where we sat. And my sister was just the youngest sister. You know, that's that's a role in itself. <laughs> I was going to say that defines you well enough. Yeah. Speaking of sport, you just touched on it. You were an elite athlete mm-hmm. growing up. I am always really interested talking to people um, as adults who were completely defined defined by sport in their early years. And it kind of like a lot of people say that it fundamentally shapes who you are. Did it fundamentally shape who you were Mm. as a young person and how you are now? Absolutely. If I hadn't have had sport, I don't know if I'd be alive. It funneled and channeled my immense energy and also gave me boundaries and discipline and goals. I'm a really goal-orientated person. Like I'm also a numbers person. Like if I put a post online, I will go and obsessively watch the analytics and, and how long people are clicking on and where they're from and what their email address is. And like we put some hoodies on sale yesterday and I'm not supposed to be in the back end of my website. I have no business being in the back end of my website. <laughs> but I've, I hacked into one of my CEO's account. I got the password to the back end of my website and I sat there at 2 a.m. I was feeding, watching sales tick over and then going to see where they were coming from. So I'm being an athlete kind of taught me to set goals and see them through. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was all I was until I was about 19. And, and then when I kind of injured myself quite badly and then fell pregnant, I really didn't know who I was or how to define me. Like as a kid, I had all my idols, PBs up on the wall. I grew my nails. Like I still have my nails long like Flojo. Um, I knew all I knew that I was going to be an Olympian. And even now still I haven't let that go. But I also, I wanted to win an Oscar, a Grammy, an Emmy, a Tony, a Golden Globe and an Olympic gold. That was what I wanted. Small goals. Yeah, that was. And honestly, I used to tell people that. Like that was a careers day. I'd be like, I don't need you for careers because I am going to win an Oscar, a Tony, a Golden Globe and <laughs> and, um, and an Olympic gold medal. So that's really nice. And I won a Grammy. I was going to win a Grammy. So yeah, I've always had ridiculous, lofty, stupid expectations of myself. But being an athlete did certainly save my life. And also I apply all the things I learned to my career now and to my parenting style. I am curious because you fell pregnant quite young. When you fell pregnant, was it almost like, okay, I'm going to be a mum? Was there any question in your head about what direction you were going to take? I had no direction. It was complete. It was almost like I self-sabotaged in that I think I'd had enough of being an athlete. I think I was really heavily injured. I wasn't as fast as I needed to be. I wasn't good enough to get to the next level. Like I was racing against Nigerian girls and the – the African-American girls and the, the French girls, and they were just so much better than I was, and I don't like losing. Um, and so, I don't know, it's almost like I, when, it, when it happened, I was really calm about it. Scott wasn't because we'd been living together for a week and we'd been together for four months. Uh, and I was 21, Italian Catholic. Um, <laughs> Amazing. Everything going right on plan. I mean, tick, 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 tick. <laughs> and so when it kind of happened, it was Valentine's Day 2001, I found out. And he'd gone off to baseball training because he was a pretty high-level baseballer. And I was at home unpacking our one-bedroom flat in St Kilda off Grey Street. What a life. And um, my, I just kind of realised I hadn't had my period in ages. And I rang my mum and she's like, oh, have you taken a pregnancy, pregnancy test? I said, no, nah, no, nah, it's just because I've been training. It's fine. But I, and I just went and got one and did one on my own in the apartment. And my whole – I was 21. And my whole existence had been selfish athlete, new boyfriend, great new apartment, like new, new, new life. And all of a sudden I'm pregnant and I'm looking out at my daughter now who's, who's nearly 18. And, um, no, Scott got home and I told him and he said, oh, well, we can't – you and I can't do this. We've not been together long enough and we're, we're kids ourselves. So, no, I didn't – 
I didn't know until kind of the moment, you know, I went to the family planning clinic and um, they, they called my name and when you, when you go to have a termination, you, you, you have a pre, pre-session and a counselling session, you talk to the nurses. And it was kind of then I decided that I didn't want to do it. That I, I, I kind of said to myself, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give being a mother a crack. So I kind of called my mum and she was like, of course, we support you no matter what. And um, that was it. So. What was it? Was it the fact that the sport was starting to come to an end or you were getting tired of it and you no, thought was, maybe this is next? There's been probably four moments in my life where the universe has spoken to me quite loudly and that was one of those times. So where the universe has said to me, it's just a voice, I don't know where it comes from and it just tells me what I should do and I guess it's probably my inner voice and I think as I've gotten older I've gotten much better at trusting the first voice. I think women have talked out of trusting the first voice so we tend to kind of hear the first voice and then go, oh, no, no, and then we'll ask ten other people and then we'll talk ourselves out of it and then maybe we'll do the thing that suits everyone else and not ourselves and then we get resentful. So I trusted the first voice which was your you're going to be a mother. And um, it's honest, It's almost like a come-to-God, non-religious God moment of just clarity. And I had that again um, when I quit my job at Breakfast Radio in Perth. Just had a moment of, you need to leave this job. Wow. And same for Idol. You, you need to audition for Idol. Like, it's, there's just been moments in my life where I've trusted the first voice. So then I left and my body got ripped to shreds. I put on, like, 50 kilos <laughs> and it was hectic. And um, then there she was, uh, and her and I have just been figuring it out ever since. And she's nearly 18, and I said to her, I'm so proud of us because she's a magnificent human. But I didn't know which way it was going to go because I had no idea what I was doing, none. Mm. So um, she's amazing. She's my right-hand woman, moral compass. She's my best friend, as gross as that is. And um, she's just she's a much better version of me, which I'm really proud of. I mean, her father got some bits in there. <laughs> but she's me with all the lunatic taken out and then a lot of her father's kind of evenness and, and um, sensibleness. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm proud of us of, of where we are now. Coming up after the break, what Em wants from her career next after what has been a turbulent 12 months in the public eye? But first, a word from today's wonderful sponsors. You've done a lot in your career is raising your children and how proud you are of them the thing that fulfills you the most? No, no, absolutely not. Uh, and nor should it be any mother's or any woman's. I'm a, I'm a really good mum because I, I don't value being a mum above everything else. I make sure that I am fulfilled and whole and, and I'm putting back into the things that make me happy and shine. Then I'm a better mother and a better wife and a better human in general. If I allow myself to become depleted and everything becomes about the family, then I become resentful and awful and I'm not a very good mother. So, no, um, the thing I'm most proud of in my life is my children, but... I am a mother. That's kind of one of the things that's interesting about me. It's not the first thing I'll ever write in a bio. You'll never see M. Rossiano, mother of three first. <laughs> so, no, I, and I staunchly defend that and, and I've been criticised, but I know that I'm a better mother when I take care of myself first. You know, oxygen masks come down. You put your oxygen mask on first so then you can help the people around you. So, um, yeah, no, I'm, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's no. <laughs> no, but it makes such perfect and beautiful sense like Mm. there's no way you can parent or be a good partner in any sense Mm -hmm. if you don't actually serve you first exactly your life has changed quite dramatically this is me putting words in your mouth but you're nodding Mm. um in the last sort of 10 to 12 months Mm. you've quit a really high profile job Mm. you've had a baby Mm. how are you doing 1040 1040 um and if you take a year back before that took on that high profile job lost a baby um i'm great today 
I'm really good. And I've been going through a really, I go through these really intense periods of kind of growth of, of self-realization and self-awareness and then, oh, fuck, I've got to fix that about myself. And I was really bitter and angry and in a bad place about probably 12 months ago when I kind of the radio job was getting really wobbly and, and I did do the Will Anderson podcast, The Willos- Willosophy. Yes. <laughs> um, Nailed it. And I listened to that back last week and I realised I completely wanted to blow my life up. At the time, I didn't know. At the time, I remember leaving that podcast feeling like Will had seen me, like I had a connection with a really great comedian that I'd always admired, that people were going to listen to this podcast and really get me. <laughs> and then the shit hit the fan and then I'm like, I listened back to it last week and I was like, Jesus Christ, lady. <laughs> what the fuck? And some of the things I said, I was like, I had to take my headphones off and I said to my husband, whoa, I should not have been allowed to have leave that building. And I was in a really dark, bad place and it felt like I was listening to someone else. It didn't feel like I was listening to myself. So I realised looking back, you know, that that podcast that I did happened for a reason and then, you know, as a result, a lot of people were upset at Today FM for the things I said, which was not my intention, hand on heart. Um, and then because of that, I ended up leaving the job. And if I hadn't have done that, you know, there's a, um, I had to kind of get out of town because the media were going crazy and they were just painting me in this awful light of someone who was just soulless and heartless and wanted to kill everyone and not work with people. And um, Scott and I, Scott ended up taking me away and that's the weekend I'm pretty sure Elio was conceived. So I don't think Elio would be here if I hadn't have done that podcast so there's all these weird steps in hindsight. So you have Will Anderson to thank for getting pregnant. I did. Oh, my that God. Because I kept running into Will and I kept – Will kept going, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, it's fine. I th- I'm pregnant and I'm so happy. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been so much upheaval. And even this last two weeks I've been questioning, you know, everything, all that I hold dear, who I am, the way people view me and – just really working through that and trying to figure out why I'm placing so much stock in other people's opinions at the moment and why I'm so feeling so fragile. And Like I got left off a, a junkie list of top 10 careers out of Australian Idol last week. And Wait, who else it? did they have? I didn't the even make the omission, cut. yeah. And, and 10 people. Can I, can I actually tell you what I think that is? I don't think people even think of yeah, Australian Idol when they yeah, look at you because you've gone on to do yeah. so many and things. And that's a rational thought. But I am not a rational person. No, we're not rational about ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> we're just only rational about other people. I took it so personally. And it really destabilised me. And I was having a day like, you know what, Em, well done. You know, your, your opening night at Hamer Hall sold out for tour. Your kids, your baby, you know, everything's going well. You're healthy. And then that junkie was hit about an hour later and my friend sent it to me. And I was like, it just rocked my world. And then it was, I was like, oh. Maybe people think I'm a loser. Maybe people just think I'm insufferable. Oh, my God, I'm not doing as well as I thought. And, I, and then I had to then keep going. You got, I got to always keep going. Why did that dis- – why was that so able to destabilise me so quickly? 15 years of slog and I'm finally at a point in my career where I feel like I'm doing really well and one little stupid list was able to just dethrone everything. So then I had to kind of come back to – and I got to – they – were able to articulate, leaving me off that list, my worst fear in that I haven't achieved anything, that I'm not where I think I am, mm. that I'm a fraud, that people look at me and think she hasn't earned it. What is she even good at? What does she do? So then I was able to go, okay, and now I'm fine again. It's exhausting being me, but the only way now I can sleep and not have adrenaline is figuring stuff out right to the end and being uncomfortable. Mm. I used to be someone who avoided conflict because I didn't want to feel uncomfortable 
but I haven't achieved anything without being uncomfortable first. I've yeah. learned that. So to, to answer your question, I am good. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. I did want to ask you about rage though, because the conversations that we've had with you uh, have touched on rage in that period before you left the job, because yeah. you have admitted to us that mm. you were quite angry I was. in the months before you quit. Yes. And it is clearly no coincidence that your new show is now called Rage, Rage and, and Rainbows. Rainbows. Yes. Can you walk us through that sort of period of rage, particularly the one that started before radio and how it's kind of led you to now and writing that show? Yeah. I think um, when I signed on to do the radio, I wanted to do feminist FM talkback. And that slot has been so hard to rate in because when Kyle and Jack left, it, they just took all the ratings with them. And today FM have had real trouble feeling it. And I walked into that job so arrogant thinking, give me a year. Give me a year. I'm good at radio. I've got this. And then we did a great year of radio with, with Harley Breen and I'm still really proud of the radio and it's, it was unique and funny and everything he and I wanted. It didn't rate. It just yeah. didn't rate. It cut through on social though. It I really remember, did. I remember how much I saw across we social media. We kind of pioneered media. videos. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it did really well online. But that's not the metrics that mm. they really care about. So Hallie left and then, yeah, I was Ed Cavalier and Grant Denny came on and two people I'd never kind of worked with. And then the direction of the show changed and it had to change because they wanted to try something else. And I felt like I felt really ripped off because that's not what I agreed to do and not what I signed on to do. So I guess I started kind of probably acting like a petulant toddler. Like I'm just saying, no, I don't want to do that. It's not what we agreed. It's not what we agreed. I was saying no a lot at work. And I was having to swallow a lot of the shit that I was feeling about the content we were putting out because it's it it was fine, but it's not what I would have chosen to do. And I'm, I'm I was 39 doing stuff I was doing in radio when I was 24, mm. and I just didn't want to do it anymore. So I kind of got taken aside at work and said, "Look, your anger is making everyone really uncomfortable." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And I thought I was hiding it quite well. It turns out I wasn't. Um, and then I guess I. The show came about really and truly because I was crossing the road in Clifton Hill in Melbourne um, at Stotts, the homewares place. I was six months pregnant. I was a cello and a truck driver yelled out the window to me, why don't you smile, love? And I turned around and I yelled back at him, why don't you break your own arm up and fist yourself up the ass, you fucking asshole? And cello looked at me and the truck driver looked at me. <laughs> And I was like, whoa. It was like that came from another place. And I felt like if I could have climbed that with that truck and punched that guy in the face, I would have. I felt so mad that he thought it was okay to tell me to smile, like I was only there for decoration, that it's okay to tell another human to smile, even if they don't want to, that that's all women are here for. Like I was having all these feelings. That's all women are here for, just for the visual pleasure of men. How dare he? And then I was like, I was like hyperventilating until I was like, what is wrong? And I said, I don't know. I just know that I'm feeling increasingly pissed off. And so I started asking all the women around me how they were feeling. And I got this grip on the arm, white knuckle, me too. And it ranged from, you know, Eurydice Dixon, what happened to her? You know, the feelings that women, we don't feel safe. We feel like, you know, we, we can't walk to our cars now without, it's now a privilege for us to walk to a car. And, and and all the way to the scope of I'm I'm doing too much at home. My husband's not helping me with the kids. There's no pitching in. I'm exhausted. So I just wanted to really tackle and research and get into why women are eating it, drinking it, gambling it, 
um, you know, doing all the things rather than just actually saying, hey, I'm really fucking pissed off. Because from little girls, we're taught to be liked and little boys are taught to be respected. And I think, you know, when we're in high school, we want to be popular, whereas boys don't give a fuck about being popular. They want to be the toughest. So it goes right down to letting little girls be angry and letting little boys cry. And um, the only way I could understand my rage was going to the edges of it and the ends of it. And um, I finally kind of got there and that led me to leaving my job. And it was another come to God moment, but I don't know who God is in this, let's say... um, Will Anderson. Freddie Mercury. (laughs) 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 And it was another, you need to leave that job. And it was tough because they were paying me more money than I'll ever earn in my life ever again. But... I just had that you need to leave this job and Mm. so I did and it really helped me. Mm. I am interested, you went from being kind of like, you are a writer, that's how you started off a lot in the media as well, Mm. that you were writing for publications and you were the one putting the content out Mm. and slowly over time as your celebrity grew and your profile grew, people started writing about your life Mm. in return and making you this tabloid news story. How is it feeling like anything that you put online on your own social media profiles will be turned into clickbait or will be turned into some, I don't know, like gotcha moment Mm. that people want to capitalise off? Yeah, there's this real kind of stacks on culture, especially when women put themselves out there. You know, if if a woman missteps in the media, everyone's quite happy to just pile on top. Um, It's real pack mentality. Totally. And so it's hard to be brave. And it's also encouraging everyone to just be these safe, mediocre minions who, you know, just toe the line all the time and everyone gets along. And, you know, I mean, we've gotten to probably this massive call-out culture now where people are just calling people out for the sake of it and not actually having an intelligent conversation about why they're calling them out, just calling people names and dehumanising them. For me, I, I have to try really hard to keep continuing on being brave and being honest um, and not second-guessing myself and not thinking, oh, well, if I put this out, they're just going to write this because then I'm dead in the water. My stock and trade is being honest and telling the truth and it's also how I process a lot of stuff. So honestly, I work really hard and it's exhausting sometimes. Sometimes I, sometimes I do just not want to say something or stand up for someone because I don't think I have the strength to cop what's going to come back. But if you're in a position where you can use your voice to help someone and you don't do it because you're afraid – of what's going to come at you, then you're just a bystander and you know better than the people doing it. Mm. So I find it really exhausting and I'm really super sensitive and I'm a performer and I want everyone to like me and it hurts my feelings, but, you know. It's really funny that you say that because for the first time in a long time we ended up in news coverage of what we said on the podcast not very long ago and that was so hard. Like it was Mm. only a few articles online, but I couldn't believe how much that affected our psyche Mm. to have that coming from all angles of the internet, like Mm. multiple publications at once. The mental toll that it has on one individual I don't think can be underestimated. Mm -hmm. Has it affected your mental health? Um, No. My mental health is pretty rock solid. I mean – I've had, I, I've I've held my dead baby in a container on my lap after after, you know I, I miscarried and I've buried him in a pot and I've held my dying grandmother and I have been to the absolute depths of the bottom and so I've I feel like if I can survive that which I have and I've grown from it 
that stuff really for me, it's just flesh wounds and it usually only takes me a few hours to get over. And I have a great support network and I will call my people um, and they will we'll talk about it and I will check in with them to make sure what's being written about me doesn't have truth in it because that's really our greatest fear. When we read the worst possible things we've ever thought about ourselves in print, we're like, oh, fuck, they've found me out. Oh, my God, everyone knows. So, yeah, no. I mean, it, for a few hours it's a flesh wound, but I have been, I've been down and dark. I've been mentally very unwell, and um, so I kind of feel bulletproof with that stuff now. I feel like it'll hurt. I know it's going to sting for a few hours, but then I know the next day ultimately I'm going to get up and just get back out there again. Mm-hmm. How do you be brave in what you say publicly? Because it does take a lot in this climate to say what you think mm. and not many people do it. Mm. And also balance that with this desire to be liked. Does mm. it come back to that perspective <laughs> or is it just sort of not trying to marry the two or thinking about the two at the same time? Oh, it's hard. I've got a really strong gut now and, and if something sticks in it and, if something's, and, I, and I usually now, for me, I give it time. So if something hits me and I think, and I have a real visceral reaction, the old me of 10 years ago would have just spewed something out. Like I would have just gone publicly. Now I sit on it and I, and I let it sit, like I should let it stew and I let it simmer because things are much more potent when you simmer them and they taste better. <laughs> and so I simmer it inside of my gut and then the next day, if I'm still feeling that way, I try to put my opinion forward in a way that it's playing the ball and not the man. So it's 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 going the actual issue, not the people involved. So um, and no name calling and no dehumanising and all those things, you know, that I think put people in a kind of angry listening mode rather than a reflective and, and curious mode. I think if you ask questions and you and you go straight down the line with stuff, people will be more curious rather than wanting to deflect it. But it's maturity. It's taken for me to be 40 to figure out the best way to kind of put things forward in a way that, hey, this is what I think. I'm not so in love with my opinion that I think it's right. This is just what I think. I'm really interested to know what you think because there was a time where I didn't care what other people thought. Ten years ago, probably even five years ago, I was like, you're either in or you're in the way. So it's taken maturity and three kids and a lot of pain and a lot of fucking up, a lot of feedback to get to a point now where I'm really curious about people's opinions who are different to mine. Mm. If either of your daughters turned to you and said, I want to go into the media when I grow up, what would that make you feel and think? Uh, I'd be fine. I want my girls to pursue whatever lights them up. And if that's what – I know one of them, my eldest daughter, will end up in film and television. She's an amazing director and, and she does media. She's a media captain at her school and she's incredible brain like that. So I'm pretty sure she will. The other one, I don't know, drag queen. Who knows? <laughs> she's very much like me, Odette. Uh, I would be fine. I would never limit my kids because of my negative experience. I mean, that's my experience. Their experience might be amazing. Mm. Do you miss radio? Because no. you were so good at it for so long. <laughs> no. Radio and I are not happy bedfellows. It is like locking a peacock in a cage. Um, I miss broadcasting. I miss being able to sit and have conversations like this, which is why, you know, I first did, I did a podcast in 2012, 2013. Oh, my God, way ahead of the curve. I uh, called <laughs> Deeply Shallow and um, it did really, really well, which is that's the reason why I got offered a job back in radio because the podcast is doing so well. Um, and I will go back to podcasting and I will run things on my own steam and um, I'm going to do subscription podcasts. I want to do direct to public. I don't want to have to have a radio station. I don't want advertisers either. I want my community to decide what I talk about to be part of the show. So I've been looking into that. Also, no one does that. So again, it's me being out there being told, no, don't do that. That's stupid. Do, <laughs> do advertising. 
But yeah, I, I miss the idea of, of sitting down like this and talking, but I don't miss the three minute breaks. The, the structure. The stunt, the structure. Yeah. The, everything about it is bad for my personality. And I'm not a morning person yet. I kept finding myself in breakfast radio. I'm happy to fill in. I, I filled in for Kate Lambrook when she was away a little while ago, and I love that. I fill in, you know, I might fill in on the 3 p.m. pickup every now and then, but it's, it's too, too much constraints for me. And it also brings out the worst of my personality, and I don't want to be that person again. That talkback radio idea when it comes to being a female trying to create a feminist talkback radio station Mm. and for you it it didn't work at the time. I mean Mm. maybe if you got more time you think it could have sort of like built that groundswell. I think so. Do you think there's a scenario where that could ever work on radio again or it's just too late where a woman could spearhead a radio show Mm. and it be given the time Mm. to be well received? Well, Wendy Harmer does it on ABC. But again, it's a different audience and they're trained for talkback. As long as men who are running radio stations, no. I think once we see a turnover, I mean, the thing with radio is that usually those guys have been there since they've been roadrunners in the 80s and they were jocks. Then they go into program directing and then they end up, you know, on the board or whatever. So, um, no, I think radio is very scared at the moment. I think they're clamping down rather than opening up. Mm. Um, So uh, as long as there are scared white dudes making the decisions, no, Mm. I don't. How does being a woman add another layer to what you do? Um, I think, I don't know. I mean, I haven't been a man, but... (laughs) You're kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just now coming into the whole womanhood situation, having birthed a child and, and you know, the, the whole idea of body bouncing back and, <laughs> and then watching my girls become women. And um, I think I think it's a really scary slash exhilarating time to be a woman. I think I've been through so many phases and watched my mum kind of come out of the 70s and really fight for equality. And my mum is a baby boomer. She's a first generation who worked full time and had kids. She was also studying full time. So I kind of watched my mum and she tricked me into thinking that I could do all that. And she hid from me the fact that she was battling. Like she was really tired and really strung out. And But for me, mum was juggling it all. And now I know the truth. And I think, um, you know, part of my show is about encouraging women to not lie about the struggles and not hide it from their kids because we're raising our daughters to think that that's that's how you're supposed to be. Um, So I think, I don't know, being a woman now, I feel really powerful, but I also know I'm in a bit of a bubble with the people I choose to surround myself with in the media that I read and, you know, algorithms. (laughs) You know, when you get out there, I have to work really hard to read an Andrew Bolt article or anything that's right-wing or because I've curated my entire life to be... Well, you have to make a conscious decision to find it. Like well, you've got I, yeah. to search it and out. I've just started doing that because I think it's really important. I think otherwise you're just in a vacuum screaming to the choir and, and they all agree with you anyway. So, How do you do that then with your children? If you want to be open about, you know, maybe your rage or the fact you're pissed off mm. or the fact you're carrying all this stuff, how mm. do you do it as a parent and be open with them without feeling like you're burdening them? Well, I mean burden them. Um, <laughs> Fuck them. No, for me it's been boundaries. That's been the, the thing when I when I, when I I wrote the show Rage and Rainbows, I had to live it. I had to walk the walk and, and the first thing you have to do is put in those boundaries, which is really hard. So if you're a mother who's doing everything for your family, you've allowed that to happen. So now you have to reverse back out of it and everyone's going to be fucked off with you because they're going to have to do more work and your kids are going to be angry with you and your husband's going to resent you and you're going to have to deal with angry people who you love the most and want them to love you. So I, for them, I started putting in the boundaries. 
uh, you're going to be doing your own washing from now on. You're going to be packing your lunches. I have to work now. And then saying to them, I'm really tired because I'm not getting any sleep. I'm really angry because, um, you know, I've had to come home and deal with this when I should be out earning money. So now I just tell them I'm feeling really angry and this is why. And I always say to my girls, it's okay to be angry. They come home and they're stressed or or if I say to them what's wrong and they say nothing. I go, no, you're burying it. You're repackaging it. You're trying to make me feel comfortable. You don't want me to worry so I'm trying to encourage them. And also I'm going to be on stage in a fucking leotard on a unicorn encouraging <laughs> all the women in the room to do the same thing. So I'm a fraud if I don't sort my shit out first. So tell your kids the truth because otherwise they grow up being repressed men and women. Tell your kids the truth. Let your son see you sad. Let your son see your partner sad. Let your son see his dad show a range of emotions and, and then they'll grow up much more fuller and wholer beings. But for me, I've done them a disservice and, and I'm going to work really hard with Elio, to be honest. But I think my kids know now. I mean, you know, you've got to make it age appropriate. My, Odette doesn't need to know the exact amount of the mortgage not being paid. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's important, I think, to allow your children to see your faults. And it's very important that you apologise to them when you fuck up. That's the other thing. They've got to know that you are – there are failings in their parents and that's okay. How do you feel about the upcoming stage show? I'm so excited. I'm so excited. We ran it for the first time yesterday and everyone laughed at all the jokes. That well, must be a lovely feeling. Oh, my God. It's such a relief because my band have already heard a lot of it. But also, you know, I've got my lighting guy, Chris, who's incredible. He's John Farnham's lighting guy and has been for years. He lit the You're the Voice film clip. Oh. He's amazing. Uh, and he agreed to work on this because I did a show with all of John Farnham's band last year called Difficult Woman and um, it was great. And so, Chris, I'd love to work on a show of yours. And I said, no, nah, I'm, I'm not John Farnham. He goes, no, I'd love to. So he <laughs> is like a 50-year-old guy, married with kids, not someone, and he was hacking himself through the whole show, through the whole run through yesterday. I'm really proud of it. And all the girls in my band, like I've got, I've tried to have mostly female players this year. They all feel really empowered by it. And I can see them on stage. My drummer's hitting harder. She's, you know, she's listening to everything I'm saying. So it's a joyful show. It's it's not me standing on the stage screaming at people. I'm all about finding a middle ground with men. I love men. The most important people in my life have dicks. <laughs> like my dad, my best friend, Michael, my husband, my son. I love men. And I think we've got to find this road where we're walking down together, not us throwing shit from one side to the other. Mm. It's not working. There's such a chasm. Mm. So the show's about men understanding women and women understanding themselves. And the songs sound great. They're all originals except for the last bit. I've got 12 dancing vulvas because I want (laughs) people to leave the show flapped up. You know, because oh the vagina God. is the strongest part of anybody, anywhere, any gender. We birth life out of that. We can take life if we've done enough pelvic floors. And so the 12 dancing vaginas are the last thing that you're going to leave my show in your mind. <laughs> oh, my God, what a spectacle. To remember to <laughs> flap up when you're feeling like, you know, things are going to swallow you whole. So I'm I'm really excited about it. It's the best thing I've ever written. You know, I, I feel like maybe it might be my last one because I'm so exhausted <laughs> Are you just saying this because it hasn't launched yet, though? I oh, know. I'll get to the yeah. end. I'll be like, right, let's go again. But, but that does make me wonder, what do you want out of your career most next? Is it to return to the mainstream media? Is it keep doing shows? Is it, mm. you know, pushing this writing thing? Like, what is all it? All of those things. All of it. I want all of it. Um, I, I want to just keep kind of watering all the areas of the things I love. Um, I really want to do, like, a big day out for women, 
that's probably my in the five year plan is you know renting out Rod Lather Arena and having me doing a show, then having you know a guest on to talk life shit and having, Brene Brown, Brene Brown, oh Brene Brown, yeah, yes. sure. So just just casually Brene, <laughs> um, just like it's like stalls and music and, and clothes and health and just a whole day where you just come and you wear a lanyard with a wine glass holder and you put your wine glass in it <laughs> and your hands are free and you walk around and you just it's just a day to be better but also entertained. Um, I want a TV show. I, I want a variety show, you know, where I'm kind of dressed like Judy Garland and guests and a band and a drag queen behind a bar. Um, I want my first fiction novel to be turned into a TV show. I want so many things. Small goals. Yeah, you gotta, you know, you got to put them out there. The universe has been pretty good at delivering so far. Five years ago I was playing to 20 people and I've sold out Hamer Hall in my hometown. You know, my mum and dad and, and all my friends and family get to come and see me when, and they supported me when they were the only people buying tickets. So I've 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 put it out there into the universe. So you never know. But um, I think you, your your ladies and and gents who listen will especially get it and enjoy it. And I've taken out. Uh, I know people are expecting it to be a two hour musical revenge on Today FM, <laughs> but there's actually not? no mention of them at all. Well, otherwise I haven't moved out of the rage and out of the pit. And if you get stuck in the poison, you're fucked. Mm. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm sadly I'm so sorry if you're coming for a two hour musical <laughs> spectacular. Fuck you. That's not what the show is. Um, I am curious. Getting up in front of thousands of people by yourself is yes. some people's worst nightmare. Oh, it's my favorite thing to do. Is that when you feel the most yourself? Yes. It's when I'm uh, completely in the moment and flow. I'm in flow. I'm in a hundred percent flow. I couldn't sing off key or not be funny if I tried. I'm in my absolute most. Like I, my brain is so busy all the time. Like I told you last time, and we'll say it again on this version. I've been approached <laughs> by quite a few doctors online in DMs suggesting I have ADD. Um, and look, I'm sure I do. But uh, I, I feel like I'm completely, like all the world comes into focus. It's all down to this little pinpoint and I can hear everything and I can see clearly and I can breathe. And um, I, I, it is the most elated and myself I feel. I don't have to make myself smaller or quieter or shush. Um, and I'm with a complete crowd of like-minded individuals and um, they've, they've come to see me. They've paid to see me. They want to be there. So... It's just a complete joy and I love it so much. But I get so worked up beforehand and I just, I, like, I want to call the shows off 20 times and I get so anxious and I wonder if the anxiety is worth the elation. But it is, which is why I keep going back. Last question for you. What does success look like to you, especially after the last sort of 12 months? It's funny. I've never allowed myself a moment of you're successful. Um, I think the reason I'm so good at all the things I do is because it's never enough for myself. And I think I always worry if there's a point where I kind of pat myself on the back and go, you know, you're done. I'm worried that makes me lazy. And that's weird. Um, it's like a classic overachiever yeah. mindset. Um, type A personality, um, eldest child, all the things. Um, slightly, probably ADD, according to <laughs> my DMs on Instagram. Um, success. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It's like when people ask me, oh, what does happiness look like? And I always say, oh, I think you have little moments of happiness that you string together and that's happiness. There's no, like, destination that you drive through the gates and you're here. So I don't think success – I think success for me is the little wins. I'm getting much better at taking the little wins rather than thinking, oh, I'll be successful when. Mm. So there's no end goal of successful. I'm successful if I continue to – achieve and, and and impact people's lives for the better and leave, leave things better than how I found them and leave people better than how they came. 
that's success. Success for me is people walking out of my show with shiny eyes because they've laughed and cried and then going home and telling someone else about it and then the next day getting up and making a change in their lives for the better and writing something about the show and people sharing it and, and that kind of thing. For me, that's that's continued success. Do you think it would be tied more to your personal life or your professional, your career, your home life? There's really not much boundary between the two. My my personal and, and professional lives are pretty intertwined. Mm. Like I really have made a career out of my personal life, all the stories I tell, all the characters in it. Um, and I don't think I could do my job if I had to – like it, uh, the, the, I couldn't separate the two. I love my work so much and I love my family so much and I, I would find it hard to divide myself between the two. So I have to intertwine them so that I can give them equal love and not feel crushing guilt. I don't feel guilt about my work or my family because they're always – my kids are here with me today. They'll be side of stage. They'll come on tour. I always intertwine the two so I'm never not giving my most to both. It's not one or the other. Both it's or both. Once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Em, you have been such a delight. Thank you for having me back again. Oh, my God. The last <laughs> one was such a disaster. Back. No, I'm like, I sent you guys an email and I'm like, girls, please. And I'm like, I said to Scott, they're going to be like, this bitch. Not at all. This fucking But the bitch. thing about this, we're not like, we never want to do like no, gotcha no. conversations. Of course not. We just want people to be comfortable in our yes. space. That's what it's about. I was too comfortable. That was the <laughs> problem. We did our jobs too I well. Eventually, <laughs> I effectively dropped my guts. And everyone's going to be like, we need to hear that. Do you know what it was? We were sitting on a couch as oh, well. Oh, Parents' house. Yeah, it was it was a setting. It was, so it was a Friday relaxed. afternoon. Yeah, I know. No, I think I'm happy with this one. I, <laughs> I feel like no. I just feel like I um yeah. Well, the last one just it would have created badness for you and badness for you. this is much better. This we don't want better. any more media coverage. No, I get it. I think you guys understood that. You're like, yeah. okay, she doesn't need. No, no, we were like, no, I think I, I think we it's get a it. fine idea. <laughs> the fact that you're being written about now, I'm so sorry, means you're successful, and it's just going to get more and more. I thought you weren't defining success as anything. No, but it means you are <laughs> successful <laughs> now. Like but, you've, you've you've reached that tier of. Uh, interesting enough to write about. Fuck our lives. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, though, and no thank worries. you for being such a shining light for women everywhere, and we're so excited for the show. And oh, good. Just see what's come. coming. Rage and Rainbows, please come. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, girls. Thanks so much for joining us for this In Conversation episode of Shameless with M Rusciano. If you adore M as much as we do, follow her on Instagram at M Rusciano or you can find us at Shameless Podcast. Thank you so much, guys. We will see you on Monday. Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.